Welcome to the Curious Performer Podcast, the podcast for performers who want to grow. Are you ready? Ready to improve your show, to grow your business? Are you ready to build your brand? Then turn up the volume and get ready to hear from some of the best performers in the business. I'm your host, Keith Tussing, and I'll be asking the questions we're all curious about. And welcome to the Curious Performers Podcast. Today's guest is an author, performer, and a business owner. She, along with her husband, are the owners of A Touch of Magic Entertainment. She hails from the frigid Minnesota and brings a skill set that is invaluable to all of us. She has taught at a number of conventions, and today we have the opportunity to hear from Lori Hurley. Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Keith. Glad to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you took the time to share with us today. I know it's cold where she's at. Um, Here where I'm at, it's nice and sunny today. We just had a discussion about that. So, Lori, what have you been up to during all of this fun COVID stuff that we're doing? (laughs) Oh, that's a loaded question. Is your question, what have I done which is productive or uh, (laughs) business, or what have I avoided that I now have the time to do. I I realized when COVID hit, actually two weeks into it, I realized that time is not the reason I haven't done all that stuff I thought I never had time to do. It turns out I don't want to. (laughs) I think we're all like that just a little bit. We are. So what have I done? Well, I, like everyone else, have been looking for opportunities to pivot. Isn't that the new buzzword? Mm -hmm. Pivot, Mm -hmm. go virtual, scramble, a good moderate amount of panic. I was never prone or privy to panic before. And, you know, just trying to survive. Survive. Yeah, I I totally understand. Pivot is a key word that I hear over and over again, because we're all trying to find that that thing that helps us get at least to the end of this COVID, whatever it is going to be for us to get out of it. But most of us have done something a little different. Um, with our businesses just to get by. So you have a business in Minnesota. Tell us a little bit about A Touch of Magic. Sure. So Touch of Magic Entertainment uh, is the company that I own and operate with my sweet husband. It has been around, actually this year we'll uh, I started in 86, so we're, we're celebrating 35 years this wow, year. Wow. I started when I was two, if you want to do <laughs> the math and try to figure out my age. Uh, it's actually a business that I started in a college dorm room. Um, I will, I'll spare you the details around that. But prior to COVID, we were providing entertainment for over 450 events a year. Wow. And we target three audiences. We target families and children teens and tweens, uh, and then adults at corporate events. Our bread and butter really is the the family events, families mm. and children. And we network with some of the most talented artists and entertainers in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. So we have about between 50 and 60 uh, artists and entertainers that we subcontract on a regular basis. And uh, we ourselves are the entertainers, too. So we are bringing our our goal is to bring joy and laughter uh, to all ages. And prior to COVID, we were quite successful. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Hey, let's jump back. You mentioned how you started in a college dorm room. And I think that would be a very interesting story. (laughs) Well, the the short 
piece of it is I was I was in a college dorm room and I was actually preparing to travel around the world with a group called Up With People. Oh. Are you old enough to remember Up With People? Oh, yes, I am. Oh, my goodness. So I had a uh, I had been uh, I had been admitted to Up With People. That that alone was an accomplishment because it was hard to get in. I uh, got into Up With People and I basically had a, a school year's worth of time to raise a I was trying to raise $10,000 that would cover my tuition to travel along with uh, my own extra expenses. And I started a singing telegram business in my college (laughs) dorm room in a tiny little college town in New Mexico. They'd never heard of singing telegrams before. And I'd always wanted to do it. And why not? So I did custom written songs. I had, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, it was kind of scary now in hindsight. And uh, I raised my money. I went on my tour. And one of the stops on our tour, we were around the world, um, uh, 86 cities in five countries on two continents, traveled with 120 different people from 18 different countries. And one of our stops was Sarasota, Florida. And the advanced team... Just for fun, brought in Steve Smith from the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Clown College uh, to do just a fun workshop for us, give us exposure. That wasn't uncommon in any of the cities that we visited. Probably the most fun thing we did in terms of uh, you know tours and seminars and workshops. And I was smitten. <laughs> I was absolutely smitten. I didn't necessarily want to be a clown per se. I wanted to be Steve Smith. Um, he, you know, he's he's tiny and vivacious and dynamic and had more energy in his pinky than I had in my entire mm-hmm. body. And he talked about being a clown was to have a heart the size of Alaska and be willing to give it away to everyone. And I sat there going, me, that's me. I'm a clown, but I want to be that. I want to be him. I want to do that. And that from there, I literally, it turns out that workshop was actually my audition for Clown College. I didn't know that it was at the time. Uh, he invited me up to be a volunteer to demonstrate a skit that he was going to teach the whole group. It was Dead and Alive for uh, the, the clowns in your group who will recognize that name of that routine. And that turned out to be my audition. I filled out the six-page application, went right from up with people to Ringling Brothers, Um, had a great experience in Clown College, was fortunate to be offered uh, a contract to tour as a professional circus clown with Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey. Finally, eventually got back to college. It was never my intention to be away that long. Um, Got back. Nobody had picked up my business when I left. All the music majors were like, I want to start a singing (laughs) telegram business. And none of them did. I got back, only this time I had a few more skills. I actually was a real clown and started doing other things, and my business just followed me. And uh, my husband, I married my husband somewhere in there on a really awesome blind date. We literally just celebrated the 30th anniversary of the blind date. He joined the act a year later, and uh, we, we've just never looked back. Our business has grown, and we have been very fortunate to to be able to make a living as full-time entertainers in a, in a day and an age when people said, no, you're crazy. You can't make a living doing it. No, there's not enough work. There's not enough money. The market is saturated. And that's what we were hearing in the early nineties when we made the decision and said, you know what, I'm going to try it anyway. And we've, we've just been extremely blessed. The truly 2020 has been our worst Mm -hmm. year. So 
Oh, what a great story. I love I love the idea of being a part of Up With People. I am very familiar with that. I've been involved in ministry for years. And uh, as you know, I don't know how many times I've seen them come through and perform back in the day. Uh, what a great experience. And then to jump right from that to the best clown college in the world. I mean, come on. That's, that's a huge, huge way to start. Um, well, so much fun. I love that. So as you, as you did that, you said, okay, we're going we're gonna to do a business and we're going to do it together. Um, the husband and wife thing can be a little tough sometimes. I mean, I'm married. My wife and I just celebrated our 40th. Um, but we've been in business together multiple times with different businesses. And right now we love what we're doing. So as you and your husband started out and you began to do that in Minnesota and you, you began to, were you always a touch of magic? Great question. So in the early days, uh, my maiden name was Silverman and my singing telegram company was called Silvergrams. And uh, the name A Touch of Magic came about when I had a small break between the end of Clown College and my tour with Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey. And I'd come back to Albuquerque, where I was from at the time, and um, I landed a series of library shows. The librarians wanted me to come and and do shows. And so I had nine shows and my clown name is Half Pint. (laughs) And they put together this flyer for me. Uh, to publicize the shows, and it was a touch of magic and a half pint of fun. <laughs> I love that. And I loved it so much. I loved it so much that when I moved to Minnesota, um, that was the name I operated under was a touch of magic. Okay. And I, I liked that uh, very oh, I do. much. I, lo- I love the name of that. So you guys, you do clowns, and what else do you do? All right. So we personally, so our our company offers all sorts of services, including things we don't do. The things we do do, uh, he and I uh, have a comedy show that tours. Uh, as clowns, we are called Half Pint and Oscar. And for the population that has taken part in hysteria media and does not want mm. clowns, we have taken off the makeup and we have the same kids comedy show called mixed nuts (laughs) exactly same show same costumes minus the makeup and so we have the comedy show that tours we each have individual shows we innovated a comedy show for little children um i had always done birthday parties and i'd always done magic um magic that i learned while i was in the circus and I have done that show for years and years, and I learned early on that when it comes to magic, little kids don't care. Really, they don't care. It's no big deal if the rings link, and now the rings are unlinked, and now they're linked again. Ta-da! You know why? Because they don't care. They don't care. They don't care if the ace of spades is now an ace of clubs. What's an ace? And let me get back to my cartoon. So uh, we innovated um, a magic show called Mini Magic for mm. Munchkins that introduces the concept, how did you do that? How did you do that? Because that is the notion that makes magic mm. magic. And we, uh, my husband has a delightful pirate show called Treasure Beyond Measure. In all of our shows, the signature is physical comedy, age-appropriate humor, silly antics and lots of chances to be helpful and a term we have coined which is uproarious 
audience participation. Mm. If you look at any of our videos, you will know that kids are giggling, laughing, and shouting from beginning to end. And that is true, whether it's a, our comedy magic show or our just our straight physical comedy show. Uh, so even his pirate show, Treasure Beyond Measure, again, physical comedy, just delirious. It's also, it's a, it is a comedy show which follows the story of Captain Curly the Pirate who has inherited his father's pirate ship and he goes in search of the world's greatest treasure. It also has a lovely mm. message at the end. Um, you manage, you mentioned ministry. So we have uh, one of our comedy shows that is designed for children's ministry is called 70 times seven. And it's, again, it's a physical comedy show that also teaches the concept of, Oh, I love that. In a very fun, lovable way. We're not, we don't have to hit them over the head. They know the concept. They get to experience forgiveness firsthand in this show. Um, other little things we do in the background. So, you know, of course, there's our stage shows uh, in the background, balloon sculptures, face painting, you know, all the all the stuff you would expect uh, a clown to have. And we don't always do them in clown, but you know, face painting, glitter tattoos, airbrush tattoos, um, you know, all those types of skills strolling uh, you know, comedy magic for children uh, for a period of years. Uh, also a comedy stage hypnotist. Uh, I added that to the arsenal about 20 years ago. Uh, that is not something I'm, I'm actively doing now. But again, we were, it's kind of like once you're a children's entertainer, you you keep adding more and more and more to it if you're inclined that way. I am very ADD. <laughs> so it makes perfect sense that my attention would be drawn to any squirrel crossing my path early on. It never occurred to me I couldn't do any of this. Heck, I I, I started a singing telegram company in my dorm room. You know, of course I can do that. Why not? Uh, I love that perspective. What about uh, as you jumped into it, as this is going to be our career, did you experience any early setbacks or crazy stories that happened? I think the craziest story, and again, I'm going to come back to the fact that you use the word ministry. I, I find I have to be very careful. Ministry suggests I'm allowed to use the word God here. Is that a, <laughs> Of is that course safe? you are. Your podcast. Well, truth be told, it was it, it was truly providence that that led me to to where I am. Uh, in in every you know, from up with people to the circus to to even finding my husband to these skills, we'll just call that big gap a, a giant technical glitch. How's that? <laughs> Um, I feel like God put me here to bring joy and laughter. Oh, I love that. Plain and simple. And early on, the only setbacks we had were truly our own, were that of self-esteem or one might say the enemy who says, oh, you've got a good work to do. I'm going to interfere mm -hmm. in your ability to do it. But honestly, you know, God has reigned supreme in all of us and all of this. He has really just led us all this way. Early on, um, I moved to Minnesota to get a, a job in my my field. Ooh, when does that happen? I was a theater major, <laughs> and uh, I got a job in professional theater in Minnesota, which is how we got here. Of course, my business came with me. And when I first got to Minnesota, the first thing I did was open the Yellow Pages. Now, if you have any young <laughs> listeners, you'll have to describe what the yellow pages are. It's it's that big book that used to arrive on the doorstep. And uh, in the old days, you know, I opened up the yellow pages. I went to party agencies. I called 
every company in town and said, hey, I'm a new clown in town. And I, I come from Ringling Brothers. I have my own business. I can do this, this, this. And, you know, if, if you're looking for a clown, I'd love to work for you. And every one of them uh, said, no, no, thank you. And one of them even mm. hung up on me before I was mm. done. And truly, Keith, if, if any one of them had hired me, I never, never would have grown to be as, as successful and as, 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 um, have as many gigs, honestly, as, as we do, they, they just, none of them would hire me. And truly back then what I learned, I, it was then that I learned the difference between scarcity and abundance. That's probably not a new term to you or your listeners. The, the idea of scarcity is this notion that there is not enough, not enough work, not enough gigs, not enough customers, not enough money. And, Truly, when we moved to Minnesota, we were so broke. And the theater company that I'd been hired for, you know, was a nonprofit organization. We had no money. My husband was still a full-time student. Mm. We had all these debts. And yet here we were, and I can't even get gigs from the people in town who have the gigs, you know, but that was because they lived in scarcity. Abundance, the opposite, is a notion that there is enough. And it has no relation to what you actually have. It's a belief system that embraces that that there will be enough. And in my world, my provider is God, that, that God will provide, that I was not put on this earth to fail. And so we kept going. I took out my own ad in Egypt, in the children's public, in the parenting publications. And while I was running my business, you know, uh, part-time, only earning enough to get some nice tax deductions and working full-time for the theater, we got to the point we got to the point when we literally prayed about it and said, God, what do you want us to do? And the answer was, trust me, you know, you can run this business full time and, 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 and it's going to work. Now that was the initial setback because we, we had started to make friends with local entertainers and they said, that's foolish for all the reasons I said earlier, not <laughs> enough work, too much money, blah, 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 you know, not enough money to, you know, too saturated and I thought, well, you know, my, my boss, my boss is powerful. My boss can, can, can overcome any of those circumstances. What it would require though, Keith, is that I, that I run my business mm. well. And we had, we had prayed about it. I should say that a few years earlier, what even got us in the conversation of, could we do this full time was that I, um, I had my first child and I had a 12 week maternity leave and during that 12 weeks, and mind you, I'd, I'd had ads in the yellow pages. I had ads prior, uh, you know, I had ads already. Um, but I, what I never knew until I had my first child was how many times my phone was actually ringing. You see, I'd come home from work, and this is before caller ID, <laughs> I, and I did have an answering machine, and I would just have hang up, hang up, hang up, and I wouldn't even know the hang ups I couldn't hear. And so while I was home on that 12 weeks, my phone rang all the time and I answered the phone all the time. I answered every call and I sold almost every person I talked to and I made more money in my 12 <laughs> week leave, meaning I generated more income. I should say I generated more income in my leave than I had in the previous year. And it was certainly had the potential to earn more money than I was making at my full-time job, which was still for a mm -hmm. nonprofit. And that's when the wheels started to turn. Maybe my business wasn't running because I wasn't running my business. And what I knew from my other colleagues locally, 
was that they were having the same problem. All of them had to go out and get a J-O-B. They were also coming home at the end of the day not having enough work. And that was an eye-opener. So when we went back to say, hey, can we do this full-time? The answer was a resounding yes. And I've always believed the saying that that if you chase two rabbits, both will escape. If I wanted my business to succeed, that needed to be the only rabbit that I focused mm. on. And and we were very blessed that way. And we we saw immediate evidence that this was going to work. And was it scary? Yeah, the only setback was fear, truly, because if I didn't have the safety net of my full-time job, there was nothing else to fall back on. And that can be scary. And so... But we, we did it, and I also learned I needed to, to acquire some business skills, and I was going to have to be organized to be able to scale my business from a couple gigs here and there to multiple gigs. And it turned out I was kind of good at it. I'm already detail-oriented. Uh, I ended up, because I had these ads, it turns out other entertainers found me. So when I was the one that a new entertainer in town called saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a clown, I'm a face painter, I'm a balloon artist you know, do you ever have work? My answer is yes. I would love to know more about you. Yes, there is enough work. There is enough to go around. And that's, uh, so I've answered more questions than you asked there, but that's perfect. And I was also fortunate. I started teaching um, in the early nineties at clown conventions. And I realized my niche, you know, there's there's plenty of clown conventions where you can learn how to do more magic, learn how to put on your makeup, learn how to do costumes, learn how to do skits. But I realized what wasn't happening. And actually, it turned out what was missing in the uh, late, actually late 80s, early 90s, what was missing in all at all of those conventions was business. There just wasn't anybody teaching people how to treat their business like a business and how to do it successfully. I would go to those conventions and hear the same complaints I heard in my local market. Not enough clients. Uh, Too many entertainers. Nobody wants to spend the money. They don't want to pay my price. And that that became my specialty because once I discovered that that I had a kind of a good thing going, I also discovered how to price myself to outsell those agencies. I was never interested in outselling the other independent contractors. My competition, and I always defined competition as the person who takes money out of Mm. my pocket. Um, My competition is not the people who do what I do, but the people who do it poorly. (laughs) Because people who are good at what they do, who, who bring honor to our profession, that's always been good for us. Because that means people hire more of us, and they're happy about it, and they tell their friends. As soon as somebody gets Mm -hmm. burned, They also tell their friends and people go, yeah, sure glad I didn't spend any more money on it. And all those companies who hung up on me when I got to Minnesota, uh, they uh, most of them aren't around anymore. Uh, A couple of them still are. And back in the day, um, they're better now than they used to be. But back in the day, when it came to clowns, um, they, they were horrible. And I didn't even know that they weren't good until I showed up at an event where I was hired to next to another clown from Mm -hmm. one of those companies and he showed up and his face is nasty and he smells and he's wearing this thing that looks like he shook, you know, took it out of a trunk and shook it out. And I remember midway through this event, it's, it's July, mid July, I'm five months pregnant and it's hot. And I look over at him and 
picture this if you can picture a clown his face is melting we're afraid of clowns this is why i reached out and looked over and said hey did 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 you have trouble with your with your powder and he said powder no one said anything to me about powder (laughs) and he went on to describe how he'd just been hired and he went over to this house and there was a book of pictures of clowns and there was makeup and he could, you know, he could smear on the makeup based on one of the pictures, put on the costume and left. Nobody told him anything about powder. Uh, (laughs) Those of you who are listening who don't know about clowns, uh, we put on grease paint and then we put powder on top to to set set the the makeup, makeup, which gives us a matte finish and allows us to survive sweat, rain, and the occasional pie (laughs) in the face. And he knew none of this. It never had occurred to me that my competition, meaning these other companies, were were hiring people who weren't actually professionals. And up to that point, I had been pricing myself. I erroneously thought that I needed to charge the market mm-hmm. rate. And that's when I went, oh, no, I don't. Oh, no, I don't. And I, I raised my prices dramatically that, that very next day. I was like, oh, I should not be charging the same. I'm not the same. And that was a beautiful thing for my business too. And this is something I also started teaching at these conventions. If you're if you're pricing yourself to be the same as everybody else, you look and sound the same as everybody else, and the customers can't tell the difference. Pricing myself higher meant people went, wait, but you know, bottom feeder incorporated, <laughs> they're only charging, they're only charging that much money. And I'm like, yeah, they are. Yeah, I think I think that's still true. I mean, I I see that. Um, here and one of the one of the things that just really struck me as odd is I first I mean I've only been doing this for now ten years as a as a job part time and then into full time um, I'd been in ministry for twenty five years full time ministry for for that time and and then as I began to get more and more into this one of the first things I had was a, a Barry Mitchell CD. And he was talking about being professional. And when he said, you need to be sure your clothes are clean, you've brushed your hair. And I'm like, what? You're telling adults this? Seriously? <laughs> but it was true. It was just true. And, and I still see that when you go to a gig where you have multiple entertainers and you're standing next to somebody and you're going, this guy's getting paid? Seriously? You're paying him to be here? Um, it's shocking sometimes what's going on around us. You, you think that some some of it would just be common sense, but it's not. It's not so common. So as you talk about that and the idea of your name and where that came from, I love that story. What about branding? How do you feel about that? How do you brand your business and make you look different? Those kind of things. In terms of branding, admittedly, that was that was not mm. something I had thought of early on. But once I did, we 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 went full throttle. <laughs> you want a great brand? How about Ronald McDonald? He's known internationally. Everyone knew they would knew, know McDonald's from the arches, and they know Ronald McDonald as the white face in the yellow suit with the red hair. It didn't even matter. And I knew that I needed to do something, but that wasn't in my skill set. The challenge with children's entertainers is we get to be children's entertainers even if we have no experience in business, even if we have no training whatsoever outside of our skill set. So I aligned with a company to help me with that. I recognized I'm not good at this. Uh, I'm not good at web design. I tried it on my own and suffered miserably, and it cost me. 
It really, really cost me. Mm-hmm. And that idea of branding, you know, everyone says you are your brand. That's what you hear at the conventions. But what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything to the people who don't have a marketing background or who don't have, you know, the the the, the business training. So we looked at who we are and what we look at and what we look like. We looked at who we are, what we look like. And forever, we have always worn beanie hats, the, the, the beanie, it's like a baseball cap, it's rainbow colored, and it's got a propeller on the top. That came to be uh, early on, even with my husband's clown costume. And I realized as people were working for mm. me, they couldn't tell us the difference. They couldn't tell the difference between us and other companies. And so we adopted that and formally made it our brand. It's not enough to have a logo if nobody ever sees it. So we had created a new logo. We had, uh, we added the propeller hat to the logo. Everyone, when they go to Mm. events on my behalf, whether it's a caricature artist, a face painter, whatever, they all have the hats, they have aprons that have the logo. (laughs) And I encountered a little bit of resistance early on and the fun part is now we show up at events and no one remembers the name A Touch of Magic. They all think we're magicians. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been paying the price for that uh, <laughs> since I chose it. But now we show up at events and people are like, look, it's the hat people. And that has made a difference. Now, can anybody wear one of those hats? Sure. I didn't invent the hat. I didn't, I didn't invent the brand. But it became that noticeable icon that represented us and the people who work for us and it's become a brand that people Uh trust gosh that sounds so cliche when it comes out of my mouth but literally when we walk in and they go oh good oh it's you again they don't remember a touch of magic they don't remember the name they remember the hats and 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 again it's been it's something that people are are glad for because they go Mm -hmm. i couldn't you know let me say something now, especially when it comes to rebooking clients. There's so much turnover. And one of my skill sets was the ability to get repeat customers. The reason we grew so big and the reason we had so many people working for me is not because I ever wanted to be an agency. That is not what I wanted. It's because our current clients were satisfied and kept hiring us. New people kept finding us and wanted to hire us. And we suddenly couldn't be at every gig. And and sometimes they wanted more than we could do ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's how that came to be. Well, there's a lot of turnover. And companies don't always remember. And maybe there's a new committee and they don't remember who they hired because the notebook got lost or that person's no longer with the company. And when you show up and they go, oh, thank goodness it's you. I couldn't remember. And they only know, they don't remember even my face. They remember our brand. That's good. I love the hat idea. And, And like you said, McDonald's. Uh, people see the the arches, you know exactly what you're going to get, and that's what you want from a brand. You want to be able to say, hey, I know what I'm going to get with these people. That's great. What about social media? Is that something you use? Do you see value in that? How do you use it if you use it? I see a lot of value in social media if you know how to use social media. Admittedly, I'm a dinosaur, or as my daughter, who's a millennial, uh, has comforted me. She said, no, mom, you're not a dinosaur. You are a digital immigrant. 
And digital is your second language. And of course, for her, she said digital is my first language. So that comforts me. But knowing that uh, an early mistake. So as I was teaching at conventions, I used to teach people you know, don't put all your eggs in that basket in social media. It's not the same as real marketing because back in the day, and now I'm going back pr- probably 10, 12 years and some of the teaching I was doing, things have changed. In the day, what I would notice is all the artists and entertainers had their profiles and they would go around and post and like each other's posts and it was really good. And then they were wondering why social media wasn't working for them. And my position was, your goal is not just to get fans who are your colleagues. You can be very popular in all the Facebook groups and and you can be popular on Instagram and have this illusion of a successful social media presence if your goal is to have all your (laughs) colleagues like you. Now, I'm not saying that's not a worthy goal. That is a wonderful goal. However, it's, it is counterfeit if you think that that is the goal that's going to put money mm. in your pocket. And remember that my niche has been to help people to run their businesses successfully so that they can do it full time. My, my original book was called How to Make a Living as a Full-Time Entertainer, since you know, everyone said that we couldn't. And so you know, all these people were like, well, I tried social media and it didn't work. Well, the only thing that didn't work about it is it wasn't producing income because they were targeting all their colleagues from being in all these conventions. Fast forward, if you're going to be someone who's going to use social media, number one, unless you are social media savvy and few of us old timers (laughs) are, if you're an old timer like I am, which is less about age than it is about experience and digital, uh, to have a, a digital, you know, if you have a facility with digital stuff, then then you get a partner, you get a marketing partner. I'm not opposed to hiring that agency across the world. However, I'm a fan of hiring someone uh, who speaks your native language, who is local enough to you, who's going to give you access to it and let them set you up. And what that means, Keith, is if you're going to be a social media presence, you you need to have a specific business page. In the old days, we could be called Lori Clown, and my personal profile was my page. That's not going to work if you want to have a social media presence that puts money mm-hmm. in your pocket. Social media is really effective. And right now, Facebook is probably more effective than it's ever been because of all the things we hate about (laughs) Facebook. I hate that the moment I sneeze, literally there is an ad for Kleenex in my margin. It feels a little bit like the Truman Show. (laughs) Yes. You remember that movie with Jim Carrey? It feels that way. But I'll tell you what, here's what Facebook has done really, really well. They know their customers and they can help you. You're going to set up an ad that targets the age group if Let's pretend we're talking about family entertainment. If I want to, if I want to run a, well, I'll give you an example. The uh, other thing we do, my husband is a very wonderful Santa, and we invented virtual visits. We were doing virtual visits 10, mm. 12 years ago, long before mm. people were doing virtual, because we work with children and, and children in hospitals who were too sick to see Santa live. Um, so we were doing that a million years ago. Now everyone's doing it, but for this year, we set up Facebook ads. It's not enough to put a post and spend money on it. This is something I used to teach in my workshops. That's like me 
you know, or having somebody say, hey, I'll help you get a million views. Be careful of the people who want your marketing dollar. You know, I could run in the middle of our U.S. Bank Stadium and tell everybody, I'm a clown, hire me. That seems like good exposure to 50 to 100,000 people, doesn't it? Except my return is going to be literally zero. Facebook allows you to go after the people you want. We set up an ad that targeted uh, parents. So Facebook knows whether or not you have children. Uh, Parents of children who are birth to nine. Facebook knows that too. Parents who like Christmas. Facebook knows that too. There is no point in me putting my Santa ad out to a bunch (laughs) of Jewish people. And I can say that because I'm born and raised Jewish. I can tell you that ad would have fallen flat. Um, we could we could set out our, you know, does that make sense? So Facebook, if you're going to use social media, have someone help you do it well. And then know what your end game is. Is your goal to get likes? Is your goal to get people to go to your website is your and and to your if that is your goal it doesn't matter how many visitors you have to your website if you cannot convert mm. them to leads and then my niche it doesn't matter how many leads you have if you can't convert them to sales so yeah did that I answer was perfect, that for you perfect okay what about you mentioned early on your clients that are return clients and i love the word client versus customer um, we want all of our customers to become clients. That's our goal. Um, how do you build a rapport with your clients? What are some things maybe that you do to retain those clients other than provide a great show? I think that client retention is one of the most important things you can do because it's much easier and cheaper to keep a client happy than it is to spend the time, money, and energy to go get new ones. And is this a place I can make a shameless plug for the my book? Oh, you bet, you bet. I was gonna, we're going to get to talk about your book before we're going done. Oh, very good. So, in my book, Entertainment Business Magic, um, I talk about retention and how some of the things that you can do. The first thing is, if you're running your business and you're organized, and I hope that you are. The best thing you can do is to reach out to your customers this year for next year or now for this year. Okay, COVID has put a little bit of a a dampener on that, admittedly. There's a lot of client calls I'm certainly not making right now simply because there are events right now for the live events that we did in our market. So pretend this isn't COVID. This is still valuable advice. I want to be on my client's mind right before they're starting to plan the event. And I want to do this for two reasons. Number one, because I've learned there's a lot of turnover. If I wait too late to to call about that company picnic or that holiday party, number one, if my old liaison to the company isn't there and the the last person wasn't on the committee and doesn't know me, they've already made plans and don't even know they've missed it and don't know that they've missed me. And I hate calling somebody going, oh yeah, oh yeah, we already planned that a month ago. Mm. I want to be on their mind in the planning. And especially, uh, I keep notes on all of our customer interactions. So every conversation I have with a client, I'm just taking a couple notes. If money was a concern for them, then... Part of my client retention is in my my introduction call, my reminder call this year for either next year for the following year or this year for next year. My call is going to say things like, hey, and 
You remember last time, remember how they hadn't given you enough money to give you everything you wanted for your for your picnic, now is the time to to ask your boss to to increase that budget because you know your picnic has grown, you know, by 30 to 40 people each year, but they haven't increased your budget. So so I'm giving them service. If you want to keep clients happy, you have to keep adding value. And value isn't necessarily in the deliverable of the services I provide. Some of the value I provide is in that consultation. Hmm. I'm spending time with my clients. I'm solving their problems. And when you give impeccable customer service, people will buy from you again and again and again, and money becomes less of an issue. And I'm going to, if I can address that also, people think that to keep clients happy, you, you have to, you have to be cheap. Mm. You have to not, you know, cost them a lot of money. And I have found that the opposite is true. And one of the mistakes I made early on in our business, um, as a result of my own scarcity and fear is I had a fear of raising rates. Remember that we were already coming in on the high end. We were already some of the more expensive people in town, I was afraid to change our rates. I had kind of felt like, oh, good. They took a chance on us. They loved us. And I better not charge anymore because we were already expensive. And it turns out that was faulty thinking. Absolutely faulty thinking. So I developed a model for raising rates incrementally in a way that allows you to keep your customers. Some of this is in the book. But that's also how you keep your customers as a contrast to the fear of, I better, you know, I better charge what I've always charged because if you always charge what you've always charged, you'll always have to charge what you've mm. always charged. Mm. And then when you finally do have to raise your rates because you start to feel slighted or resent the fact that everybody else is paying more, it's gonna it's gonna leak out and your customers gonna feel it and then they are gonna start shopping elsewhere. Mm. Now you mentioned your book a couple of times. You have. Uh, the original book was the original book was how to make a living as a full-time entertainer. It is out of circulation now because it's been replaced by a new and better book. And the title for that is entertainment business magic. (laughs) Entertainment business, business magic is available on Amazon. Uh, it's available on my website, a touch of magic entertainment.com. It is available and uh, at Silly Farm, uh, any of your listeners mm-hmm. who are also face painters will be very familiar with Silly Farm. It is available at paintertainment.com. And when I teach at conventions, I always have a I always have a stack with me and they always sell out. So what about if you were going to say as we get ready to wrap this up, three things that would be critical to the success of a performer, what would you say those were? So I think one of the first things that's critical for a successful performer is if is to treat this like a job because I'm I'm going to interpret that term successful in in two ways. Number one that you get to do as much of it as you want to do. So what looks like success to me may not look like success to you. For me, I didn't consider myself as as successful as I am now until until I had all the gigs that I wanted. I wanted more work than I could handle. So for me, that was that was one one measure of success. It's not the only measure of success. And aligned with that 
was that I could pay my bills. Mm. Now, I know a lot. I know a lot of successful uh, performers who are successful because they get to do their craft. And it's never been their goal to make a living doing it. So I'm not going to look and say, well, they're not successful because that wasn't their goal. So number one, if you're going to be a successful performer, you got to measure what success looks like to you. Because I also know a number of performers whom I would deem as successful, only they don't think they are because they're busy wishing for somebody else's success. Mm. They haven't defined what success looks like. So if you are going to be successful, number one, decide what that is. Is it the number of gigs? Is it how much money you're making? Is it how many skills you have doing it? Whatever that looks like, measure that. It's if you one of your goals to be successful is to make a living doing it and nothing else, then you're going to have to treat your business like a business. And what that looks like is spending as much time on it as a business as you do on other things. I can't tell you how many people wish their businesses were more successful. But when I ask how much time they spend on it, you know, they they spend a couple hours a week on it. Well, I can't think of a single job that you could have that would put food on your table and pay your rent or mortgage that allows you to only work a couple of hours a week. And when I say work, I'm talking in the office work. Mm -hmm. You obviously there's the gigs that you're doing, but that's not enough. Now, do you have to put 50 to 60 hours a week? No, that's the beauty of what we do. We don't have to do that. And it has never been easier than now to run our businesses with minimal office input. But minimal is not one to two hours a week. And number three, advice to be a successful performer. Keep learning. Keep Mm -hmm. growing. Uh, one of the things I love that Lewis Meyer teaches is uh, he likes to, he, he's always reading. He's always reading. He's always reading. And I admire that so much because he recognizes, and he's a guru in and of himself. Like you think, wow, what is there left for him to read? But there's a certain humility in the professional who says, yeah, I'm successful. And I recognize I still have so much more to learn. And I think if you're going to be a successful performer, you got to keep learning, keep growing, keep meeting people and align yourself with other people who share your belief system. One of the challenges uh, I'd had early on with um, some people in my market who are no longer in business, you know, they were so negative. They were so, they complain and there's not enough, mm-hmm. the, some, the, the ones who convinced me there wasn't enough work and then, and, 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 and I, and I drank that Kool-Aid and I believed it. And it is, it is good to keep learning, keep growing and align yourself with people who share those beliefs. In my market, I've actually started leading business workshops and people say, Lori, you're crazy. Well, what do I do? I am teaching, literally teaching my I say my colleagues, not my competition, because remember how I define competition. My colleagues don't take money out of my pocket. I give gigs to them and I hire them and they, they do the same. But I'm teaching them how to sell better, how to run their businesses better, because I want them to be successful. I want them around because I want to have a healthy market. And so as that third, never stop learning, never stop growing. 
you know, align yourself. And if you can't find people in your market, if you're alone and you have people in your market who are catty, who backbite, who are competitive, who are scarce, then it's up to you to cultivate a community that shares, a community that is abundant. And remember the saying that a rising tide lifts all boats. When people asked me, you know, when I was first leading the, these business workshops for my local, uh, my, my local market, they said, well, aren't you afraid that they're going to take all your business secrets? Aren't you afraid they're going to take all your gigs? Well, that's a scarcity question. <laughs> From reading and learning and growing, what I know is there is enough to go around. And if I can help other people succeed, I believe it's going to come back to me. And whether you're a God person or a karma person, you know, hey, karma's a blessing. It is. And those are the things I think that a, a performer can do, and especially to navigate the pandemic. Keep treading water, hang in there. Yes, yes. Great advice, great advice. There's an old, old saying that the only thing that's going to make you a different person five years from now are the books you read and the people you hang out with. Um, and so we want to do both. Be great readers and be around great people. Um, and that's what I think about Lori. I didn't know Lori before today, but uh, man, shared some great stuff with us. I appreciate her taking the time to do that. Uh, be sure you find her book. She mentioned it's on Amazon. There are several places, uh, Silly Farm, that you can find the book and, and do that. One more time, plug the book, Lori. What's the name of it? The name of the book is Entertainment Business Magic, Making Real Money as an Artist or Entertainer at Special Events. It includes my contract, my phone script, the stuff I do. It literally is the ingredients to my secret sauce. <laughs> and you couldn't ask for more. Thank you, Lori, so much for being here today. Thank you, Keith. If this is your first time tuning in, I encourage you to subscribe to the show so that you can hear all the great episodes that we have coming up in the next few weeks. Ah!